You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Cuts to the outside. Saquon Barkley across midfield. Down the sideline. Stayed in bounds. And Barkley takes it all the way. 68 yards for his first NFL touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Craggy Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. How you doing there, Grump? Happy, happy Monday to you as we, um, we're kind of uh, multitasking today. We are recording this on Monday night and we are both watching on mute the national championship game right now and I'm bitter we're not in it as I am every year. So if you hear an occasional outburst of, you know, excitement or groans or something you know you're watching this in real time with us so and i'm i'm streaming it so i'm on like a seven second delay so you'll hear like an echo of (laughs) groan and for the record um i do not root for sct teams ever i hate every single one of them so a lot of people are like sec pride not me I know the conference is good. I don't need to be proven by one game or something that the conference is good or bad. I know we're the best conference. I hate all these assholes, and I'm not rooting for them now. So, go Clemson. I'm I'm not rooting for anybody. I could care less. I I just I <laughs> I want to see a good game. That's all. Um, and we'll get into the individual players playing in this game that might come up, uh, in connection with the Giants, uh, later on. That not not today. In, in you know a couple of weeks when we really start getting to the draft, I mean this is really the last of the college football. Yeah, uh, let's not let's not jump to these you know let's not play Mike Francesa and be like oh because I watched Justin Herbert once that he's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen and talk about him nonstop be, act like you've known him forever like we're not going to do that tonight. I so. mean there there's still I mean we still have the Senior Bowl we still have the East West Shrine game there is still stuff for the draft so this is not. It's not draft time yet, um, and I'm one of the bigger draft guys, you know, that I know of. So uh, if I'm saying <laughs> that, this show, it, means, <laughs> it means chill out. Um, just yeah. enjoy the game a little bit, and then you can break down film later if you want. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, there's some actual Giants news. Um, you know, Joe Judge is starting to round out his staff, and uh, that's that's big. That's very important, at least it was for me. You know, Joe Judge, I I don't know a lot about him. Um, most people don't know a lot about him. Um, so who he hired to help him be a head coach for the first time, and, and by help him I mean who he is delegating responsibilities to, was important to me to really get a feel for the Joe Judge hire in general um, and how I felt it was going to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, these guys, they all have an, it's a combination of a network of people you've gone through the ranks, whether it was, you know, as a intern, through an, an assistant, through a coordinator, through whatever, in the college and the pro ranks, you, you build up a Rolodex of guys you work with and guys you trust. And also something that, you know, people don't think about, who your agent is has a factor too. How they can present to you, op, you know, options that you may not have thought of in the past as well. So, you know, some of these moves, like, oh, I've never heard of this guy, or how they pick him. Why didn't they pick, you know, Wade Phillips, or your defensive coordinator? Or why didn't they, 
get, you know, name your offensive coordinator. A lot of these things, by the time you get to the interviewing process, are kind of sketched out already. Wow, did you say Rolodex? <laughs> okay, Boomer. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he, he did do a couple of things that I absolutely loved right off the bat, and that is he retained wide receivers coach Tyke Tolbert, and he retained special teams coordinator Thomas McGoffey. Mag- yeah, I don't know how to say it. It's yeah. very Irish, that last name. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and the special teams coordinator is something I brought up on the last episode. I wonder if he's going to keep him because overall the special teams for the Giants last year and the year before were pretty good. I mean, uh, in terms of the, the punt coverage game, the punt game, you know, it was mostly pretty good. I mean, in, including a punt block for a touchdown, you know. For a team that didn't have a whole lot to cheer for, there were some things in there. And and our punter was so good that we extended him mid-year. Um, so I was really curious if, if he was going to stay only because Joe Judge came from his special teams background. If he was, thought to himself, like, oh, I got this. I know who I want to continue what I do. I know he's going to do what I do. No, he, he, he figured, you know, or at least it seems like he figured if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I think also I was even looking deeper into it that one of the big problems we have with Pat Shermer was he tried to wear too many hats. True, and because he came from an you know an offensive coordinator background, that he's like, well, I'm really an offensive coordinator, and I will just make that one of my responsibilities. For him to say to to a delegate that responsibility to somebody, and b kind of evaluate you know in a very short term that that's you know who he wants to keep. That tells me something about what type of potential head coach we're dealing with. These might be a little bit more of a CEO that you need at this level now with the complexities of the game. So that, to me, was a little thing that was very encouraging. Absolutely. And and Tyke Tolbert has done a lot with uh, – I don't want to say a little, but with what he was given. Um, he, he Here's a guy who took Darius Slayton and made him into the name that Giants fans know. I mean, he wasn't on a lot of draft big boards. I'll say that right off the bat. I mean, top 500 players. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he had a lot of trouble holding on to the ball in college. And it didn't take long. I mean, even week three, he had his first big catch against the Buccaneers deep downfield. Right. He he was very Jeez. quickly on the scene. And this is the first time I'm going to interrupt here because as I'm watching this, Jamar Chase is just – showing what kind of an absolute man he is, uh, receiver for LSU. Uh, a guy that he had originally committed to Florida, and then when they got rid of um, uh, uh, McElwain, he, re- he decommitted and went to LSU. But there are so many good athletes in these elite teams, and you know why college teams are so great, why you still see Clemson every year in this, and Alabama and Ohio State is – they recruit at such a high level, and these guys are just so good. So, sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, it's fine. It's it's funny because I only just saw it. <laughs> That's how much of a delay I have to watch this on. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, aside from all that, you know, you you have the Golden Tate suspension that Ty Tolbert had to deal with. So now he's got guys like Benny Fowler coming in. Uh, you know, he had these guys coming in, and it was almost like they were the normal number three, number four wide receiver on the roster, and they were not. Uh, I thought that he did a really good job. I think he did a good job, you know, 
keeping Sterling she- Sterling Shepard thrived under him. I mean, remember he was taken in uh, not last season, the season before, so 2018. Um, and that's really when we saw the extension being handed out to Sterling Shepard was after that. Um, I, I I'm pretty happy. You know, it really seems like Joe Judge is looking at things and seeing. I don't need to worry about this. I think we're set at this spot right here. You know, and, that, and I that's think- pretty good. And I think this is a good little segue right now for a, a, a Pat Shermer kind of post-mortem as, you know, he got a job already as the offensive coordinator of Denver. Yes. And I've seen some, you know, some people on Twitter quick with the smart aleck comments like, oh, you know, good goodbye to their offense and everything. Pat Shermer is a good offensive coordinator. Absolutely. And this offense was not that bad. I mean, he did not get fired because this team had a bad offense. Uh, And remember, this year you're dealing with a rookie quarterback who may or may not have been prepared for that, you know, assignment to be the starting quarterback. Injuries, you know, to tons of skilled players, offensive line underachieved, partially due to injuries as well. And this offense was, you know, if you look at most of the numbers, average, maybe slightly below average, but pretty close to average. The guy can has a good offense. It's just Unfortunately, being a head coach does not mean you're just the offensive coordinator. So, you know, I'm not surprised at all that he was able to get another job really quickly. And, you know, if we're filtering down to is the people he surrounded himself with, you know, some of these, you know, position guys are, are pretty decent, too. So you're right. I'm, I am glad to see that, that he kept him and we're moving forward to things that are working. Right. And, and you know, I, I think that some of Pat Shermer's offensive coordinator um, – abilities suffered the same way his head coaching abilities suffered by splitting time. I think if he had focused solely on offensive coordinator, you would have seen a lot more efficiency from this offense. And and I said even after he got fired and we we're kind of retrospectively looking at his tenure here and he, he got hired at the height of the re, the height of the rebuild like at the start of the rebuild um and it really made me wonder like how well did he have to do here in order to make it through the rebuild you know we both feel you and I that this team is right now at the turning point of the rebuild you'd think that 2021 is the year they're really going to make a push for the playoffs this is the year where they're really reloading right with the with the cap exactly. space they have you know the switch in in philosophy and all that and all that shit they 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 have their quarterback at pl- in place that they want um how good was he going to have to do to stay the coach for this point? You know, I, I really think he would have had to do otherworldly things as a head coach that maybe they just didn't expect from him. You know, maybe he was just the right guy to to fill that void. I'm not really sure. No, I, I think an evaluation was made of him as a head coach. The things that he was doing specifically as a head coach, I think, you know, I think that Ownership with the with Gettleman's input did not like the way he was, you know, the lack of delegation. Yeah. And who knows? We'll never know if he was if it was hinted to him that maybe you should be giving up play calling and he refused to. And that might have that might have hastened the decision to get rid of him as soon as the season was over. I think they looked at just his, you know, the things that we criticized for the last two years, you know, the. The poor clock management, the, the poor use of timeouts, the poor use of um, challenges, things that said that he wasn't a very good coach. 
Um, we both said that we thought that this team probably was a win or two better than it actually was. You know, we won four games and, you know, two to three of those were pretty much in garbage time of the season. You know, but I'm not saying this, he should have been a 10 win team with this, but I, I, I really think that he was evaluated in the vacuum of, is he the coach they want to move forward to beyond wins and losses? Like with so many fans and the media kind of look at first, second and third. Well, um, let's look at some of what Joe judge has done to replace what is now gone. So James Betcher is officially out as defensive coordinator. Uh, Joe judge has hired defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. So um, right off the bat, not a name that um, immediately comes to mind for a lot of people. So here's some background on him. From 2009 to 2010, he was in New England as a defensive coaching assistant. In 2011, he was promoted to linebackers coach. Uh, 2012 and 13, he was a defensive line coach. And 14 to 15, he went back to linebacking coach. Uh, in 16 and 17, he was actually with the Giants as a defensive line coach. So he worked with that group um, of of good defensive free agents, you know, with Jason Pierre-Paul's massive contract, Olivier Vernon, and um, Damon Harrison, etc. Uh, and also, you know, some current Giants, Dalvin Tomlinson was on those teams. So he has some familiarity there. Uh, in 2018, he went to Green Bay's linebackers coach and most recently was promoted to, in 2019 to defensive coordinator with Miami. Um you know, the fact that I don't know a whole lot about him or the fact that he was with a Miami team that stunk out loud this year, you know, whether it was because of talent or otherwise, does not concern me so much as he's a 40-year-old with one year of defensive coordinating experience. That coupled with Joe Judge as a very, very young head coach with zero years head coaching experience is is kind of what made me worried about this. I don't know necessarily if I was worried about it. I think it's interesting that people were all gung-ho that we should try to get Joe Brady, you know, the passing coordinator for LSU, a 29-year-old who's got, you know, no experience in the NFL, and they were all for him being the offensive coordinator. But when they hear that you know, a guy who is a defensive coordinator in the league is kind of that scared some people. So I'm not, you know, my, the Miami situation, that was a very dysfunctional year. I mean, it was obvious in the beginning of the season that like they were trying to tank. And then for some reason, it didn't seem like they were trying to tank anymore. Um, again, I think when you're a young coach, you like to surround yourself with guys that you know, and guys you're comfortable with. So that might be the situation here. Um, it all comes down to talent on the field. You can have the greatest coordinator in the world if you don't have the, the, the tools to work with. Um, what is his kind of philosophy? Is this more of a 4-3 guy, more of a hybrid guy? You know, I, I don't know if the 3-4 is long for this team, but I'm curious what his philosophy is. Um, so I haven't broken down what Miami did defensively last year very much. And again – He's going to adjust his philosophy based on his personnel while he's there. I mean, we only have the one year to go off of, and it's with a team that, you know, collectively we all agreed that the franchise was tanking right from the beginning of the year. So not really a good thing to base it off of. But 
from what I understand of his philosophy is he's kind of a three four first, but a hybrid guy. I mean, there is. I see that sentiment a lot around the league, that a lot of defensive coordinators are kind of like, I use both fronts. There are situations in which I use both fronts. Most of those guys start with a 3-4 because it's a little bit more versatile from a personnel standpoint. You know, when you're a 4-3 guy, you don't expect as much from your linebackers. So if you're a 3-4 guy, you expect a lot more. They need to be a little bit rangier. They need to, you know, key in gaps a little bit differently. Um, And so if you're running a 4-3 with some 3-4 talent linebackers – Oh no! You have more talent than you need. You know, it's and it's also not- that decision. I don't think of what they're going to go to is based on what the roster is right now. I think some people make that mistake. Well, how can we go to a a three four? We only have X number of linebackers. You input when you're making a change like that or going from a four three three four and vice versa. That's your game plan for the next several years, and you will build your roster around it. So the way it is currently isn't that much of a factor. Well, I mean, it's a factor in so much as. They're not – a good coach shouldn't at least absolutely force a scheme onto the personnel he has. I mean if, if he comes in here and the linebackers just aren't good enough for a scheme, he's got to adjust to the talent he's got. But that doesn't mean that won't be what they're going for year after year after year. I mean as they build the roster, they're going to build around what he does best, sure. But when he comes in, if after the draft and free agency the talent just isn't there and the scheme isn't working – he should be adjusting his scheme to the talents that they have. I mean, that that just goes with all of coaching. I mean, oof, that was a rough hit. Sorry. I just well, I mean, that's lay him out. Yeah, I mean, that should uh, that should be. I know it's not targeting, but that is, definitely should be a fifteen yard on sports line conduct. That ball was completely uncatchable, and he just laid the wood to a defenseless receiver. Yeah. LSU. Any LSU fans listening? LSU has been a bunch of trash for years. I mean, they really have been. So <laughs> this doesn't surprise me at all. This is how the episode is going to roll. I think it's funny, actually. <laughs> I mean, just like their fan base is a bunch of animals. The team has been kind of a bunch of animals, too, for years. So, um, You know, we'll see what becomes of Patrick Graham. We're going to learn about him as we see him in training camp and, you know, the assistants are gonna, you know, probably play a role in that. You know, that being said, uh, Joe Judge also hired defensive line coach uh, Freddie Roach. Now, Freddie Roach, not another name that just you know comes straight to mind is like, oh yeah, yeah. It's not like you know, like Waffle or you know so some of these other defensive line coaches that have some pedigree. I mean, this guy from 2008 to 2010 was just a strength coach at Bama, which is where he met. Joe Judge, presumably, since there's some overlap there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for anybody who watched Last Chance U at all, um, in 2011, he was a defensive line coach for uh, East Mississippi Community College, which was the highlight for that show, uh, first and second season, I think, whatever. Yes. Um, uh, he, he went on to 2012 to be the Murray State defensive line coach. From 13 to 14, he was the South Alabama linebackers coach. Uh, from 15 to 16, this is interesting to me. He went back to Alabama under Nick Saban to become the director of player development. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds like more of a it sounds like more of a coaching teaching role, doesn't it? It's not so refined to a particular position, but 
it almost says to me like this is a smart guy. He understands the game. I want you to get these guys to focus. Yeah, it's kind of like understanding the the individuals on your roster and where they fit into it. Like kind of this guy needs to redshirt this year. This guy needs to put on 20 pounds. This guy might be a better linebacker than safety. It's kind of like you're right, a positionless coach that puts a fresh pair of eyes on the entire roster and evaluates and assists the head coach and the position coaches and the coordinators. In the last three years, he's been at Old Miss as a defensive line coach. So now I know that you are pretty familiar with Old Miss. Um, not familiar with their position coaches at that level. No, so but I, I mean you'd be <laughs> you'd be more familiar with how their defensive line has performed. Um, well, college is very tough, especially when you're talking about lower tier teams in the SEC who don't who a don't have the recruiting budget. Uh, name to get the elite players and B, Old Miss has, has been on probation mm-hmm. so right. they've a loss of scholarships make it makes that very difficult to evaluate also yeah. so um, but I want to do but as we kind of talking about the replacements on defense and everything I want to go back to a minute do a little quick postmortem on James Betcher okay. uh, you know a lot of people are really quick to you know, walk him to the uh, the airport to get him out of town I guess my question to you is what was the biggest reason that he was unsuccessful as a defense coordinator with the Giants? Do you think it was just, you know, the lack of talent and or, you know, inexperience that, you know, and A or B, was it just not adjusting his defense and his schemes to that inexperience or just a reliance on old guys to implement a system that may not be, you know, premier NFL quality more like they were? I mean, what do you think was the biggest reason why this defense was so bad and he was a major scapegoat for it? Well, the, the main reason why I think this defense is so bad is because they were very young, particularly in the back end, and that's really where they were kind of screwed. I mean, the defensive line, I think, played pretty well, I would say, on the upper end of the middle of the pack. Uh, when you think about what they were able to do to rush the passer with just Marcus Golden... And uh, that's about it. But, I mean, Marcus Golden, O'Shane Ziminis, you know, they didn't really have a whole lot on the edges doing a lot. But, you know, James Betcher was able to get quite a bit out of Alec Ogletree in the pass rush situation. Um, You know, the interior stuff with Dexter Lawrence and, and, um, you know, B.J. Hill before that and Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams, those guys were really kind of keeping (laughs) – what little dignity the defense had. It was it was the back end, and it, it seemed to be that the very young corners and, and safeties were really having trouble, A, in the beginning of the year with even communicating. I mean, they were not even in the television screen of coverage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as they started to get the communication down and they were all kind of, you know, finally covering guys, they were still on way too much cushion. They weren't very aggressive in the secondary. And, you know... A lot of that probably has to do with talent. A lot of it has to do with experience. A lot of it probably has to do with the position coaches as well. But ultimately, the buck stops at the top. And, you know, James Betcher wasn't outright fired by the Giants. You know, this was a Joe Judge kind of decision. He came in here and James Betcher is not going to be retained. So, I mean, that's an outside perspective. I guess Joe Judge just didn't see anything that felt like there was a scapegoat there 
it was, you know, James Betcher didn't get what he needed to out of the talent that was there. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, the vast majority of new coaches come in bringing their own coordinators, too. So, There's also that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're you're bringing a head coach to bring a whole new perspective and culture into the team. And, yeah, there are there are some exceptions of guys who transcend head coaches, but pretty much when you're bringing a coach in, you try not to have him inherit guys or guys that the GM picks. I mean, I know, you know, that was one of the things that like I thought was kind of silly. It's like at the one point we're complaining about Gettleman about, you know, not having guys be able to work for him and him calling the shots. But at the same time, you're like, well, you know, they need to hire Wade Phillips before we have a head coach signed or Jason Garrett having the offensive coordinator. Like we're having any idea if that's who the head coach wants. So we'll get there. Yeah. We'll we'll get to the the Gettleman and Joe Judge hypocrisy in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um there's one more piece of that puzzle and that is um Joe Judge has also hired a quarterback's coach and that is Jerry Shulpinski. So from 2013 to 2015, there's your Joe Judge overlap. He was New England's offensive assistant. And from 16 to 18, he was the assistant quarterback's coach. And then in 2019, he was Miami's assistant quarterback coach. So hold on a minute. So the time with New England, when he was the assistant quarterback coach, did that overlap when they had Garoppolo? Yes. Okay. And Brissett, I believe, too. Both starting quarterbacks right now. That is true both making an incredible amount of money. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my thing. Giants Twitter seems to react to Joe Judge bringing in his guys with some sort of shrug indifference. And yet, for some reason, it's Dave Gettleman's fault that James, that, 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 you know, everybody that came from Carolina and, and, and it was, it was, it was, um, it was Dave Gettleman forcing Mike Shula onto Pat Shermer and and forcing, you know, all the connections to Arizona and all these former players and, and it when it doesn't fit it's a problem for Dave Gettleman. When you know what I mean? It, there's there's already a disconnect between the and this was a conversation all fucking weekend and even even the week before with the run game and and this idea that you need to run the ball in order to be successful, which was kind of said, but it doesn't mean run first. Well, I mean, that's kind of the, that's the, uh, the giant fan loves to, you know, thump their chest about is like, Oh, you know, we let, we're committed to running the ball and hard nosed lunch pail, you know, cold weather and giant stadium wind blowing. It's like, well, I mean, Yeah. November and December is you know chillier and cold, but it's not a place where, you know, it's not like you like the old stadium where the swirling winds as much. You, you the, the the game has changed, and if you think this is still 1986 or 1966, you're going to fall behind in this league. Well, absolutely, but but okay, so so here's here's the context of what I'm talking about. Dave Gettleman is is criticized for saying things like, "We want to get hog mollies." drafting a running back second overall, constantly making reference to establishing the run, stopping the run, and then rushing the passer. For some reason, people think that in that order being said means in that order of importance, which he I don't think he's ever stated. Now, you know, it's it's this analytics crowd that 
who is not wrong, but is saying that it's a passing league and that trying to establish the run is not the way to win and, and, and blah, 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 blah. Now, in comes Joe Judge, who has said essentially the same thing by, you know, we're going to smack you in the nose for 60 minutes, you know, that kind of same, like, bumper sticker. Who doesn't say that in a press conference? I, I know, I, mean, I know. On. Listen, listen, I know. But But the fact that we're already falling in love with this guy who is saying all the exact same things that our GM is saying, but we hate the GM makes no fucking sense to me. And besides the point, let's just think for a second. Has Dave Gettleman in any way actually ignored the passing game? I mean, really think about his moves. Okay. He's taken a running back second overall, but is Saquon Barkley a running back in the same way? Travis. Marsh Marshawn Lynch is, is or, a or Derrick Henry. Yeah. No. no. Saquon Barkley is a weapon specifically in the passing game. Um you know, he has already given a massive contract to Beckham. That trade happened. Then a contract extension went to Sterling Shepard. He quote he, he is re- quote unquote reached for a quarterback. He got a quarterback of the yeah. future, and people and people he criticize him for Golden for Tate. Him. You don't reach. He signed Golden Tate. You don't reach for guys if you don't think that's a you know important uh, position of need or worrying about that facet of the offense. Yeah, and he signed Golden Tate. He's kept Evan Ingram despite not being one of his guys. Um, he's drafted Dar- Darius Slayton. The idea that. You need to run the ball it is not incorrect. You do need to be able to run the ball. He has never at any point said you need to run first. Running is more important than passing, you know, anything like that. And if you look at his actions, which, by the way, anytime you're listening to a press conference of any kind, actions speak louder than words. I could give a shit what is being said in a press conference if it is directly hypocritical to what is being done through moves in free agency, the draft, on the field, coaching decisions, personnel decisions. When I look at what Dave Gettleman has done, I do not see a harder emphasis on the run game than I do the pass. Well, I mean, have you, have you noticed on this story. show, we've not really talked about what Joe Judge has said in his presser to this point. All we've talked about are the moves that he's made. Yeah. And, and to me, that is... You know, he can say anything he wants. He can go up there and he can win the press conference and he can get A-plus grades from every media person out there. But until he does something on the field, none of that means dick. So, whatever. I mean, yeah, there's there, there, there was. That was my rant. Excellent rant, my son. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. Um, speaking of the running game, though, let's talk about the weekend. And... We're going to talk about, and you're going to talk about, because I think you know this story better than I do. The Get me mad again. Derrick Hen- Derek Henry, the high school player. Derrick Henry is from Yulee, Florida. Yulee, Florida is roughly in between Gainesville and Jacksonville, Florida. Derrick um, Derek Henry grew up as a Gator fan. Derrick Henry indicated he'd like to play for the Florida Gators. would like to be a running back for him. All-time leading rusher in Florida high school football history. Yardage. Five-star? Five-star? Five-star recruit. We had a uh, head coach by the name of Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp knows more than all of us do. 
he saw the best running back in school in state history and said, you, my son, if you come to Florida, I see you as a linebacker. Derrick Henry said, no, thanks. I'm a running back. I'm going to go to the best, uh, you know, the team of the decade. I'm going to go to Alabama and I'm going to win a national title or two. I'm going to be a Heisman Trophy winner there and go on to the NFL and become now the probably the biggest one-man weapon (laughs) in the running game that I've seen in – I can't even tell you how long. I don't even know who to compare him to. Really, I don't. I mean – Bo Jackson maybe? Yeah, but Bo Jackson wasn't like this. Bo Jackson wasn't a guy who ran 30, 35 times a game and just you just leaned on him. And he, and he wore you down. I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of guys like, you know, I'm going way back to when I was little. Jim Brown? No, I was going to say a guy like Earl Campbell or a oh. guy like just guys that were just bull. Herschel Walker. Hmm. Well, Herschel Walker had a, a very strange career because he really, his elite years were not in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, but. Herschel was like that when he was, you know, and it's not fair to compare, but when he was with the generals in the USFL, mm-hmm. uh, but just a guy you can just kind of lean on and you can base your entire offense. I mean, Tennessee won two playoff games without their quarterback throwing for a hundred yards per game. That is insane. In 2019, 2020 NFL. Think about that. It's insane. It, it's 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 absolutely ludicrous. Now let's let's bring it full circle back to Florida. Where was Derrick Henry when Tim Tim Tebow did the jump pass? Probably watching on TV as a fan. Yeah, he's a good five six years younger than these guys than Tebow was. So he was in high school? No, not quite. He might have been like eighth grade, maybe just you know. Yuli Middle School or something, I guess. And uh, he gets to do the exact same thing that he got <laughs> to watch on TV as a Gator fan in an NFL playoff game. Yeah. I mean, that is just the coolest thing. And um, I think I lost a family member and a friend when I made that statement on Twitter. Well, it's – what? <laughs> no, I mean I, I didn't make the connection. I just, you know, yeah. The guy is something special. He is what I thought Trent Richardson would be in the NFL. Exactly what I said, yeah. Another guy from the state of Florida that slipped through Florida's fingers and ended up going to Alabama, of all places. Um, I thought Trent Richardson was going to be one of those guys that was you know, one of the best running backs coming out in the last 10, 15 years. Him and Leonard Fournette were two guys that I've been, to this point, have been wrong about. Like I was wrong about Trent Richardson. Fournette's solid, but he's not – even not, with his Derek nah. – he's not Derek Henry uh, – uh, that level of, of just you know dominating like he is. Yeah. That game um, – I, I certainly expected the Ravens to win, but uh, I did say to some people at work that you know if anyone can stop them defensively and doesn't have to beat them in like some kind of shootout, it's going to be the Titans. It's just the way they play defense. That doesn't mean that I thought I was right. I just said it because it sounded right. <laughs> I really was watching that game with just slack-jawed, just absolutely stunned. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
when you get to the second round of the playoffs, you know, it's my it's always my favorite weekend of the year because you get four games where you have four legitimately good teams playing each other. And you know, in the regular season, if Tennessee was to beat Baltimore, it's not as shocking as it always seems to be when it's in the playoffs. And uh yeah, it, it, it's, it comes down to matchups. It comes down to coaching. It comes down to who's healthiest this time of year. And it also comes down to, you know, having it. Like Lamar Jackson, a lot of the, you know, the, the talk obviously is going to be, you know, everything he did for 17 games means nothing because he has one bad playoff game. Guy is still young. Oh, my God, right? I mean, let's put it in perspective. Joe Burrow. Playing in this game tonight for LSU is older than Lamar Jackson. That's how young this guy is. And, you know, he looked out of sorts in the very beginning of that game. He looked frustrated in that game. It's going to happen. You know, to young, you can do all you can, but you put him into the moment. When the moment gets bigger, you know, that's where experience does come in, too. Mm-hmm. So, I think also he's working with not a whole lot in terms of wide receivers. In, in my opinion, I, I don't think that. Yeah, but the guy had an MVP season before this game, so all of a sudden you can't say, "Well, the receivers." When he was fantastic all year, um, I mean, I think I think he's, I think he, I think he had a poor game. And I think you know the, the the moment might have got to him a little bit just by being young. Sure. Now, uh, if he's twenty six and twenty seven, and we're seeing this, then you can start saying things about you know, is he a choke artist? Is he just not not overrated? Is you know, blah 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 blah. But right. My opinion of Lamar Jackson hasn't changed one bit, you know, no, before and after all. that not game. Not at all. Um, I guess more what I'm saying is is a setup for the conference championship now with, with Kansas City and the Titans. Um, Patrick Mahomes is an incredible quarterback. But I do think that in terms of the talent around him versus the talent around Lamar Jackson in Baltimore it is not even Absolutely. in the same room. Um, exactly. So, so Kansas City was in the position, talent-wise, to be able to handle coming from behind by a lot. I mean, was it twenty-four points or was it twenty-one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of points I want to kind of bring up for discussion with you. What happened during that game? Sure. Uh, first of all, I think Bill O'Brien's a terrible coach. Me too. Bill O'Brien is coaching in any other division than the AFC South. He is not a head coach for as long as he is. He's lucky he's in a he's in a bad division. Um, a, a debate point that we went over and argued quite a bit on Sunday was they were up twenty one. It was fourth and one. Oh, they yeah. like to kick the field goal. What would you do in there? And a and b, how much of an impact do you think that was to all of a sudden them scoring forty? One points in a row, whatever it was, right after that. I don't remember exactly where they were on the field when they kicked the field goal. It was pretty close, though, wasn't it? Um, thirty-five yard line, maybe thirty yard line. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a chi- wasn't a chippy field goal, but it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a fifty-yard field goal. Yeah. Um, I, I you know me, uh, I am a foot on the throat, do what works guy. I don't like letting up and suddenly switching to your run game. I don't like playing conservative at all. If you are attacking downfield and it's scoring you points, they can't stop it. Make them stop you. 
If they can't stop you on offense, don't fucking let off the gas. Fourth and one, go for it. But the fake punt was Well, we're going to get into that in a minute, too. I mean, that that's a different story. I mean, you're in your own end. It was not fourth and one. It was like fourth and four. A fake punt, you know, to me, that's a middle of the field kind of situational thing in the – I think it was the first quarter they did that, right? No, it was the second quarter. Okay. It was the second quarter. My my whole thing was I am by nature kind of conservative if I was a coach. I never want to give another team an out or another opportunity. You know, if 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 there is 40 seconds left or something, I'm kicking that field goal. Absolutely 10 times out of 10. We were talking early second quarter. You're up 21 nothing or I'm sorry, you're up yeah, 21 nothing. Yep. You know, it's not saying you're going to slam the door lights out. You know, I don't believe in icing games in the second quarter or third quarter. To me, the only time you ice a game is if you get the first down here, they're not getting the ball back. The game is over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, plenty of time to play left. But to your point, when you're rolling, and they were rolling kind of flukily too. You know, it wasn't like they were just – Defensively, I would say flukily. Not, yeah. not necessarily offensively. Yeah. So I would have gone I would have gone for it at that spot also because you're still up twenty one. Mm-hmm. I don't think Well, I don't think it's a bad decision to kick the field. I don't goal. think settling for the field goal was that momentum boost that they needed desperately to all of a sudden unleash this onslaught. I think it was just poor coaching and I think just kind of, you know, Allowing that kickoff to go 50 yards is unforgivable. And for those who said, well, you know, they, they would have gone for it. Okay, let's say they gone for it, and A, let's say they made it, and B, let's say they scored a touchdown. Who's to say that that ensuing kickoff doesn't go 50 yards back, and then all of a sudden the offense clicks? I mean, we are still talking the Kansas City offense, which is one of the most dynamic ones in the league. So I, I don't think, you know, I don't think the decision to – Kick the field goal is something that they're going to lose any sleep over. The fake field goal, that's fireable, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, fuck-ups that you make, it's kind of like the Richter scale with an earthquake. If you do it in week three, that's one thing, but it gets exponentially worse when you get into the playoffs and further and further along. And you have a lead. I mean, all sorts of that's – That's a coach who's just panicking all of a sudden, and is there's no reason for it. I mean – you're not going to go for fourth and one over here, or fourth and three in there, but all of a sudden, a, a riskier play and deeper in your territory when the momentum has already started. You know, now you're trying to you know piss against the wind that's blowing in your face. <laughs> it's so stupid. On the road, it's all of a sudden the, the crowd's really starting again. The crowd wasn't fired up. Oh no, they were decided, dead. But I mean, to decide to kick the field goal to no. say, well, that was the. The, 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 the spark they need is like they held them to kick a field goal. No. I mean, people were leaving. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just, bad coaching is just, <laughs> players got to play. And I don't know how much good coaching adds, but bad coaching kills you. And I think, you know, there was still two and a half quarters to play and to be that completely you know, 
bamboozled by their offense and making no adjustments, fireable. I mean, I if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, right? The talent disparity in the NFL is not massive from team to team. The best team in the league talent-wise versus the worst team in the league is not a gigantic gap that like it is. In, in, I mean, even if you consider in college the number one team to the number 25 team, it's not even that much, I don't think. Yeah. The coaching is all the difference, and the men are separated from the boys in the playoffs. Bill Belichick does not get outcoached. He just doesn't. And that's why New right. England, even when their team isn't that good, like this year, they are still yeah. in the playoffs and able to do things. And he may not be the better coach that day, but he won't coach them into losses. I think that's where a lot of people get confused. Right. It's like, well, like, he outcoached him. Well, no. The other guy coached far worse than he did. I think you see that as a deciding factor in games more than one coach purely outcoaching another. It's one just was such a did such a bad job of his own decisions, not even reacting to the other guy. Right. And while a lot of the reasons why we we wanted Pat Shermer out of here wasn't so much he was being outcoached by other coaches. It was just his own decision-making was so poor. Well, I mean, it was his own game planning, his decision-making, his play call. It was everything. It was everything he was doing. Right. I mean, you can add in the other times he was outfoxed by dumb bullshit with, like, the, the punt formation. Yeah. And, yeah. But, but that happened. That happens sometimes, but it was a bigger crime how you know, bad he was with managing the clock at the end of halves, end of games, and, and just and preparation, things like that. preparation, all that kind exactly. of Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I coach is like officiating. You know, if coaching, you know, most coaches if they're co- coaching decent job, you don't think about it. You only think about the officials when there's a bad call. Yeah, you know, you, you think more about coaching. It's like that was dumb because if they do something dumb, that you think about. It. Yeah. Um. That being said, I I think that both Andy Reid and Mike Ra- Mike Rabel, I think, is asserting himself as a very good coach. I think he's come into a a shit team, and he has really milked all the talent he can out of there to the point where he has obtained a quarterback that we have all written off and managed to do more with him than anyone, like to win with him in ways we never thought he. Could. Uh, I think this. I think this is a unique situation. I think this is something where they're kind of coached. This reminds me a little bit of Trent Dilfer with the uh, Ravens. Sure. Where it's just oh, there he goes, fucking Joe Burrow. Running like a madman. Sorry. I'm not there uh, yet. <laughs> I'm I mean, still in the timeout. <laughs> I mean, they schemed around the severe limitations of their quarterback and had one of the greatest defenses of all time and a you know, an elite running back, Baltimore to win a Super Bowl. I think, you know, the again, they won a Super Bowl. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Tennessee hasn't even made the Super Bowl yet, but they are game planning around having an elite running back who can control games. I don't know if this is necessarily the game plan they want to do going forward. I don't think they're going to No, 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 no. It is, and I'll tell you why. Because they made a midseason move for him. They had a quarterback that was taken first overall, second overall, um, in Marcus Mariota. Midway through the season, somebody has to say, Listen, we can win if we take Ryan Tannehill. That if we can do this, I can make it happen. That wasn't just a a, a midseason move because uh, he's hurt, and I don't know. We got to get somebody in here. I mean, it it just 
this was a decision and it may not be his plan 1A for how to run a football team, but it was his plan 1A to win this year at that time. Well, yeah, I mean, he that is that's outstanding work by knowing what's on your roster and adjusting right. in season to it. Again, like I'm saying, that he's asserting himself as a very good head coach. I mean, an average head coach probably can't do that or does even try. Um I mean, let's face it. I mean, he went into Foxborough and won, and then he went and beat Baltimore. Nobody even gave him a shot to win that game, including me. I'm not. I'm not trying to yeah. toot my own horn. Including me, I didn't think they were going to win. Um, and that being said, he's going up against Andy Reid, who is a very good coach, and we've known this for years. Massive choke artist in big moments, but does not take away from, you know. The 16 games he plays every regular season, he he coaches incredibly well for for years now. I mean, what are we talking? 15 years? About yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a real head coaching matchup. Um, you know, next week. I don't know if it's Saturday or Sunday. The both games are Sunday, Sunday, right? There, that's the AFC game is the early game. I think it starts at 3:30, and then it. Or three o'clock, and then six thirty is the NFC game. Mm-hmm. And on the NFC side, I mean, I, I couldn't be less interested. Eh, I disagree. I mean, you can't disagree with me. It's my interest. But I mean, yeah. you could be interested. Go ahead. Right. I mean, it's, I think those are the two best teams in the NFC this year, and you know, Seattle being a very close third. Okay. I uh, I think San Francisco. Might be the most complete team. Definitely left. I would agree, you know, I would it, agree with that. Yeah. All, all, the, all those teams. Um, and, you know, they suffered no effects of any rust after not having the bye week or something. And, uh, you know, but a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you never know. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's still Aaron Rodgers. And, you, you know, but, the conditions will be, you know, when you're playing out in San Francisco, it's not going to be like going to Green Bay where it's freezing cold or something. It's going to be, you know, a good track to, to, for him to throw and stuff. And we'll see. But I, I think San Francisco, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think that's a re- major stretch for me to say that. But I just no. I just think they're the most complete team. I think, you know, they may have the best coach left right now. I mean, everybody, all this Andy Reid love. Well, let's forget that when you know when a game gets close, Andy Reid is not very good at clock management. There's there's jokes and memes out there all over the place about him. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're right. And they just haven't been in a position to have a critical part of that team be exposed. You know, when you you come back and you kick some team's ass that that quickly, you don't have to worry about that. I don't think that would be the case if you know both teams advance and you're in a Super Bowl. I think uh, Kyle Shanahan's proven to be you know one of the elite coaches in this league. So I know I'm getting ahead of myself with talking about a potential Super Bowl matchup before we get to the conference championships, but um, you know, they're both games that I'm, I'm very excited to, to watch. There's no dog in it. I, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited for it. You've already made your pick. You think it's San Francisco for the Super Bowl? I think, I think San Francisco is winning the whole thing. Over Kansas City? Uh, yeah. I, I, we can as well make those two picks right now then, I guess. Uh, if you want to go first or 
expand on what I said to your own. Yeah, I mean, I think San Francisco wins. Um, for some some reason, I'm not believing in what Green Bay as a team is is about this year. Um, I have nothing to base that on. It just don't. When I watch, I don't feel like they're really in control. Um, you know, even even last week, I mean, that was very nearly a loss, even though they had an early lead for so long. Um, and uh, on the other side, you know, Kansas City is capable of scoring so quick and so often that even even Tennessee's defense. My my bigger thing about that game and what's interesting is that I don't really know how good Kansas City is going to be at stopping Derrick Henry. And I mean that really is the long and short of Tennessee's offensive strategy. I mean, here we have a running back who has run for almost 200 fucking yards two weeks in a row, which even me saying that sentence sounds like I'm just lying to all of you if you've never watched the game. I'm not. I mean, it, it is insane. And uh defensively, I don't know how I feel about Kansas City. That being said, you know, they can just score so quickly. I actually think that game is going to be close. I still think Kansas City wins. I think, you know, if that game turns into, you know, as much of a shootout as it can be, I just think that's where Kansas – that can turn to a blowout really quickly. It could. I think it could. And that – Tennessee is the type of team where if it's close, low scoring, and they get the lead – they're very, very dangerous. But if they fall behind 10, 17, that's where it can get really ugly oh, really yeah, quick. Because yeah. they just simply can't match up for score for score. And this is kind of like what we're seeing in this game tonight, this Clemson-LSU game. Clemson's got a good offense. Don't get me wrong, but you have to match score for score for score with LSU. And Clemson in this first half hadn't – you know, they, they couldn't. And now forget it. Now it's over. Yeah. They, they can't you – know, they're, they're too far behind – they they don't have that efficiency on offense that LSU does, and that's the same thing that can happen when you're playing a team like Kansas City. And we saw it last week when they got on a roll, you know, seven straight touchdown possessions. That's a little extreme, but you have to keep up with that. And if you fall behind, you have to exceed that. And I don't think there's any offense in this league that can kind of be prepared to exceed catching up with Kansas City if you're down by any amount. So. I, I know it seems too simple to say, but see what the score is with about five minutes left in the second quarter. If it's close, I wouldn't be shocked if Tennessee wins. If they're down anything more than 10, forget it. I, you know, it, it's just one of those things where if Tennessee can really put the pressure on Mahomes, prevent him from scrambling, which they've. I, I think they can definitely do and get to him quickly, force him to throw quickly. They actually can shut down the quick strike of Kansas city. You know what I'm saying? They, I'm not saying they're going to be shut down the offense, but if they can f- prevent them from just the one strike scores, the three play drive, stuff like that. And on the flip side of things, just enforce Derrick Henry and make Kansas city try to stop him. They actually do have a good shot to win the game. That being said, it's not going to be easy to be able to bring that play after play after play because, again, with a quick strike offense, it only takes one play. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. I just think that game is going to be a little bit more interesting. They are certainly, and you're you're 100% right, they're not built to come back from deficits. They need to be in the fight at all times, and they've got to run that running game down the throat to really wear down a defense. Because, I mean, with with Derrick Henry, we're seeing, you know, big runs here and there, but it's not really until the second half that he is really just taking over games. And it has to do with just fatigue. Yeah. This is the one team, you know, that they don't, that this is the biggest challenge you're going to have for a team that can make this a track meet that they, they faced in a long, long time. Sure. So, yeah, I'm excited. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens on Sunday. That's right. And during the games, Cranky Fan and I will be tweeting like we always do. And you can follow us on Twitter. I am at football underscore grump. I'm as always at the Cranky Fan. And uh, this show is also on Twitter at, at @justgiantspod. But you can subscribe for free, get all the episodes uh, d- directly in your inventory, whatever feed. Uh, <laughs> the moment that they launch, if you subscribe on any one of the following: Spotify, YouTube, uh, iTunes, Google Play, um, SoundCloud, iHeart, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and Podbean, I believe is all of them, right? Yeah, wherever uh, wherever you get your your podcast now we are there so uh that's right find us and if we're not reach out to us on twitter and let us know and we'll we'll get it there you know it'd be really fun if everybody here told two friends Hmm. and then everybody gave us a five-star review and a nice rating or the reverse (laughs) how about giving us a five-star rating and a nice review the more giant fans that know about us the more we can interact with you guys and that's always a lot of fun yeah and uh we appreciate you guys as always Reach out to us, talk to us, ask us our thoughts on, you know, college players, the the playoffs, whatever you want, we will always answer. All right, everyone, let's go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.